Over the past month and a half, we have been speaking on the topic of following Jesus and what it looks like in terms of being led by the Holy Spirit, being committed to the Lord, being sacrificial in our daily living, being faithful to the local church, and so on. And as I said on the onset of this series, these topics are not necessarily in order of priority or importance, but rather traits that ought to be present in the life of every true follower of Christ. And so today we're going to look to at the subject of our walk with the Lord. And you might be here wondering today, what does that even mean? What does it mean to walk with the Lord? Oh, well, um, it starts with the knowledge that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first question I'm going to ask this morning is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? In other words, have you ever come to a realization that you are a sinner? Undeniably unable to save yourself and completely dependent by faith in God and His grace to save your soul? If so, praise God. If not, I hope that today is a day of salvation for you. And that's really the starting point of a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we cannot have a daily walk with God unless we are first part of His family. So as we start the message this morning, let's just take a moment and pray. So if you would, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just take a moment to ask the Lord to be with us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning, Lord, to be able to sing and to worship you, and to, Lord, to contemplate all these words that we just sang about forever and evermore, that the fact that we're going to be with you as your children and part of your family. Lord, it's so hard to comprehend when we live in the here and the now. Lord, as we look at the things going on around us, and the, Lord, the downward spiral of events taking place in our world, in our culture, Lord, I ask that we would just simply have our eyes on something greater, something more eternal, something that will last forever, the souls of men, the Word of God. And I ask, God, that you would just meet with us this morning. But, Lord, I do pray that if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as your Savior, Lord, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6, may today be the day of salvation for them. And I ask, God, that you would just, through your Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself. Lord, your word makes it so clear that no man comes unto the Father except you draw him. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be drawing those that may not know you today. Lord, I pray that you would just work in all of our hearts, Lord, that if we do know you, Lord, that we would honestly live a life that would be pleasing to you. So, Lord, we ask that your presence would be here with us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I asked a question this morning. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So until that question is settled, you'll not have the opportunity to really walk with him on a daily basis. So this morning, I want to do a little bit, something a little bit different. I want to start off with the plan of salvation this morning. And we're going to have a little bit of time of prayer in the middle of the sermon this morning rather than at the end. But I just ask you this question. You have to be honest with yourself. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? In just a moment, I'm going to tell you what that looks like and how you can have one. But here's the, here's the answer. If you don't, it's the greatest decision you could ever make to follow Jesus Christ. And if you don't, that changes your whole destiny. See, it says in God's word that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. It'd be a wonderful thought to think that everyone in this auditorium and everyone that we run in and have contact with is all, are all going to heaven. But that's not the reality. There are a lot of people who are going to that think they're going to heaven that are not actually going there. 
So it comes down to my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So before we do that, let me just simply lay it out. You hear me say it often in our closing of a sermon, but let me just say it right here at the beginning. It's as simple as ABC. I think the world wants to make salvation a little more difficult than it needs to be. In fact, I'm thankful that God made it so simple that a little child could understand it. It's not in all what all the do's and the don'ts, but it's in a relationship with him. And before I get into it, I'm going to share it one more time because all of you need to have this mastered because you can think about it in your head. What is the greatest factor in any relationship? There we go, communication. And we often know that if there's between a relationship between a husband and a wife, if one is going like this, usually the wife, because she's got to get her words out, but the husband is just going like this and walks away, has communication taken place? No. It's only when there's both giving and receiving of information. Both husband and wife are communicating with each other. One's talking, one's responding, and they're feeding back and forth. That communication can take place. And if there's a lot of communication, typically the relationship is pretty good. It's better at least. But if there's very little communication, it usually means the relationship is either non-existent or very weak. So let's put that in terms of our walk with God. If there's a lot of, relation, a lot of communication in our relationship, that means I'm reading what he's saying to me through his word, and I'm talking back to him through prayer. There's both giving and receiving of information. You see the waves going back and forth. Typically, it makes for a great relationship with the Lord. When we're reading his word, we're reading what he wants us to know, and we're putting it in practice in our lives and talking back to him, there's a stronger communication, stronger relationship. But if I say I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which really means I have, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that means I should be reading and praying. But if that's not there, how great is the relationship? Or is it even there at all? So, say, well, I'm not really sure how this all works together, but I'm interested. Well, I'm glad, because you're interested, I'm going to share it this morning. So, walking with Jesus Christ really starts with starting a relationship with him. And you know, sometimes it's a little bit strange. Anybody ever been in a new environment, and there's new people, and you don't really know who they are just yet? It's kind of hard sometimes, isn't it? But then we take that step of faith, and we kind of introduce ourselves, and then we get to know them, and they get to know us a little bit. We share a little bit about what we do in our life, and you know, our families, and start back and forth, and the relationship starts. But it all starts with a step of faith. Then I want to know this person. I want them to know me a little bit. I want us to develop a relationship where we can encourage one another. Simply ABC. Simple as ABC. A is to, first of all, admit that we're a sinner. You know, Jesus Christ lives where? In our hearts, but he's also where? At the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? So, he says there's one thing that separates us. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, we all know what the word wages means, right? It means it's what we've earned. If you work hard, you earn a wage, right? So, he says the wages, or what you've earned because of your sin, is death. Why? Because in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every one of us in this room, myself, every leader in this church, every person in this church, every child in this church, is born into this world as a sinner, separated from God because of that sin. I met a, a pastor one time in Indiana. He says, well, my kids aren't sinners. And I said, I don't know what your kids took, but my kids are all sinners. 
Every one of them. He goes, well, no, they don't sin until they realize that they sin. And I said, no, it doesn't matter whether you realize it or not. Everyone is born a sinner into this world, right? It says in Romans 3.23, says, for all, not just certain ones, but every one of us are born into this world as sinners. And because of that, not because of anything you did or didn't do, you were born into this world as a sinner separated from God. So this is what it says in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages or the, 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 the due because of that sin that you're born into is death. Now what that word death is not necessarily a spiritual or physical death, but a spiritual death. There is a chasm that separates us and a holy God. And it's a, physical, a spiritual death that separates us because God is holy and righteous and perfect and we are not. Right? So because of that, we are eternally separated from God. But he says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, wait a minute. We're born on the wrong side of the tracks, if you will. We're born into sin, separated from God for all eternity. But here's the caveat. I have given you the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And what's the gift? Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sins. And he says, this gift is free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You've already inherited a sin nature. You've already inherited separation from God. But with this gift, you're going to have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, here's the gift. You know, I've never been to a birthday party in my childhood where I had to get a gift that I had to work for it. Well, I got you this gift, Kenny, but I want, before you do that, I want you to go clean your room. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if you could use that? Your kids would be like, you know, spick and span in the room to get their birthday gift. Or Christmas, you got these huge gifts under the tree, and they don't know what they are, but bless God, they want them. Before you open the gifts, you have to go take out the trash, go mow the yard, or if you're down south, whatever it is that you got to do, then you can open your Christmas gift. Anybody ever heard? No, that's, that's not real, is it? That's not realistic. It's not logical. And neither is salvation by works. There's nothing you can do. In fact, God's word tells us in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Do you realize that you cannot be good enough to earn salvation? There's nothing, if you are the wealthiest person on the face of this earth, and you gave it all away, as I say, multi-gazillionaire. Whatever it is, I think it'd be fun to try being one just once, right? I mean, let's be honest. I'd love to try being a multi-gazillionaire. But if there was such a thing, it'd be fun to try it for a little while. But let's just pretend you gave it all away. I mean, you built hospitals in the poorest countries of the world. In fact, you went to the poorest countries of the world and you built them all a home. And you gave them all a life uh, savings that would take care of them for the rest of their life. I mean, you just gave, I mean, you were just, you had empathy and pity and, and, and just graciousness to everybody you come in contact with. In fact, yeah, you come to, come to church Sunday, you get a million dollars just for showing up. Boom, boom, boom. Man, if you gave it all away and helped thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people to the point that you had not one penny left, can you imagine all the good you could do? But in doing all that good, you're still not one inch closer to heaven for eternity unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. So it's not by works of righteousness. Like, I cannot be good enough. I cannot help enough people. I cannot do anything enough of myself. 
to earn my way into heaven. Not only that, but God's word is clear in John chapter 3, verse 3. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That, word, that term born again is sometimes a, a, a misunderstood word or phrase. It has the idea of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Savior, saved, born again. It's the idea of we're all born once through our parents, right? Through our mom. We're all, she gave birth, she had a child, and you have life. That's physical life. The born again comes through spiritual life. In other words, there was a time when I became a baby in Christ. I'm new to this. I don't understand everything, but I took that step of putting my faith and trust in Christ. And now I'm born again into a new family. The first family I'm born into is a physical family. I have a mom and a dad. Now the second family is a spiritual family. My heavenly father is my father. God is my father. And when he says once we do that, his spirit lives within us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God? And then he goes on saying, You're not your own, for you've been purchased with the blood of Christ. So the first thing I need to realize in starting a relationship with Jesus Christ is that I'm, I'm a sinner. I need to admit that. That's the A in our ABCs. A, admit that we're a sinner. God's word makes it clear. But then he goes on and with the letter B, just as simple. Believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin. You know, there's a whole world that doesn't even believe that Jesus exists. But historically, there's a proof that Jesus did exist. But more than just historically, we have the Word of God that tells us. And we accept it by faith that there is a man named Jesus who left the splendor of heaven, came down to the loneliness of earth, laid aside the splendor of heaven to come down to earth that he may die on a cross for us. And God's Word reminds us that Without the shedding of that blood, without him dying on a cross, without him having shed his blood, we could not have forgiveness of sins. Why? Because he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He alone paid the price that we could not pay so that we might have hope in heaven one day, that we might have faith in Jesus Christ, that we might have eternity with him one day. So he says, For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He loved us that much. Talk about love Sunday. We have an opportunity to, put our, to, to accept the love that Jesus Christ gave to us on the cross of Calvary. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God proved his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what I'm thankful for? That he didn't say, Get all your stuff together and then you'll save you. He says, and that while you're still sinners. Well, you're still sinners. He says, you can't do this on your own, so therefore you have to trust me to do it for you. That relieves me. Because I don't know that I can, well, I, I do know, I cannot be perfect. I cannot be sinless 24-7. I have these little moments, I'm like, whew! And just about the time you think your spiritual pride takes in, it's like, I'll deal with that one. <laughs> We struggle, don't we, in this flesh. But I'm thankful that I have a God who says, even though you're a sinner, I still love you enough to die for you. Is that not awesome? Think about that. You see, the, 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 the end I'll give all is not the fact that I get to escape hell. That's not the end all. 
The end all is I get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. So often salvation is, is presented in a, in, a, in a fashion that says, if you just trust Jesus and say this prayer, you don't have to go to hell. Wrong focus, I think. I think the focus is realizing that we are sinners, eternally separated from God, apart from our faith and trust in him and his finished work on the cross. And it's only as we put our faith and trust in him that we can spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. It's not just a get out of hell escape card. I'm thankful for that fringe benefit though. Trust me, I don't want to fry for eternity. But the bottom line is I get to spend eternity with my Lord and Savior who loved me enough while I was still a sinner to die for me. Is that not awesome? That's an incredible picture of love. In fact, I don't think there's any greater love. So first of all, I have to admit that I'm a sinner. I think that's pretty easy for most of us. I've done wrong. I've sinned. I've stolen, cheated, lied. You fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're good at. Like when Mike used to jokingly say, I was an accomplished sinner before I got saved. Whatever it is that you're accomplished in, Christ died for it. So that we could have an understanding that we're sinners in need of a Savior. So A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid that sin debt. And because he did it, you don't have to. He was the perfect sacrifice. And then letter C is to confess and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, is it really that simple? Yeah, it really is. That's what starts a relationship in our hearts with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to confess and call? In Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with a heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So what's he saying here in those first two verses? If I confess with my mouth, what am I confessing? Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He did exactly what he said he did in his word. And I confess my sins to him, knowing that as I repent, he forgives. So there's two ideas of the word confessing. It is a vocalization, it is a confessing with my mouth that Jesus is who he is. He did what he said he did. And I'm a sinner in need of his saving. And because he died on the cross and shed his blood, I can have forgiveness. And here's the beautiful thing. In 1 John 1 it says, whoever would confess their sin before the Lord, he says he is faithful and just to forgive that sin and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. He alone forgives us of our sins. Isn't that awesome? Every time I go to the Lord in prayer, we're all sinners. We all do things that aren't right. We try to do what's good. But oftentimes, sometimes anger or pride or jealousy and all those things slip into the picture, right? But every time I say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have responded that way. I shouldn't have yelled like that. I shouldn't have had these evil thoughts. I shouldn't have, every time I am willing to repent those things to the Lord, he says, you're forgiven. I'm glad he's a God of second, third, fifth, 27, 28, 29, 50, 100 chances. Because I need that. And I think all of us that are honest need that because we're not perfect like he is. So he says, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that awesome? If I'm willing to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you can be saved. 
So in John 1.12, what's the blessing of this? It says, but to all who do receive him, he gave them right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. He says, when you make that step of faith, you become part of this family. That's the born again. That's now you're part of a new family in Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Before we can have a right relationship with God on a daily basis, it starts with knowing him in your heart. It starts with saying, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and I confess my sins and call on him to be my Savior. That's the most important decision any one of us in this room could ever make. It's not the get out of hell card. It's the, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Because apart from it, I'd be spending eternity in hell without you. So the question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Have you ever come to the realization that Jesus Christ is not part of your life? And because of it, you need to put your faith and trust in him. You see, it is a step of faith. See, some pictures of faith are easier than others. See, it takes faith to come over here and sit on that stool, right? And for a lot of us, that's pretty easy. Yeah, I know it's going to hold me. No big problem. No big deal. It's going to hold me. But a step of faith that says, hmm, if I admit that I'm a sinner, if I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and I call on him to be my Savior, is he really going to save me? Does he really know everything I've done in my past? Does he really know that I'm such a bad person apart from this? Yeah, he knows. And he says, I love you anyway. He knows everything there is to know about you. In fact, he knows the number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof for some of you. He knows everything. But the most important decision you could ever make is to know him as your Savior. So as I said in the beginning of the message, we're going to stop right in the middle of the message and take time for a word of prayer. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, it's as simple as a prayer. Simple as ABC. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross. And I confess my sins before you, ask for your forgiveness, and I call on you to be my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you. That starts the relationship. So just for a moment this morning in the middle of our sermon, I want to just stop and pray. So if I could have every, every head bowed and every eye closed. Just for a moment this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, we're talking about having a, a walk that is worthy. We're talking about daily spending time with you. But Lord, it all starts with knowing you as our Savior. It all starts with acknowledging that we are sinners. We admit that. And we believe that you died on the cross to pay a sin debt that we could not pay. And Lord... Many of us have come to the conclusion that we have no other choice but to confess and call on you. So, Lord, I pray if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be their day of salvation so that they, too, can have that same fellowship with you. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning, let me ask this question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Is he your Savior? Not do you know about him. See, I could ask the question. I could ask this question, do you know President Trump? And most of us would say, yeah, we know President Trump. We raise our hand. See, yeah, I know who he is. But here's the difference. It's not enough just to know who somebody is. There's a difference between knowing who somebody is and knowing them. So the question then becomes is, can you pick up your phone and call him? 
Can you send them just a quick text and know that he'll respond? Can you send him an email and think that he'll even respond? No, you can't. Because Donald Trump doesn't know you. The president doesn't know that you even exist hardly. The difference in knowing about Jesus is knowing that we can go to him in prayer and he'll speak to us through his word. He'll speak to us through circumstances, through other means. But the question is, do you know him? Have you ever come to the realization that you're a sinner? That without apart, apart from his work on the cross, you'd spend eternity in hell? Can I ask you this question as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed? This is a simple question. Do you know him? You say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest today, and God knows my heart because I can't hide anything from him, if I'm being real honest, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And by relationship, I don't know that I even talk to him. Maybe I pray once in a while. I'm not sure if he hears or listens. But I, I really don't have a relationship with him. But I'm concerned about that. Would you just simply pray for me? I'm not embarrassed you and not call you out. Just simply by your uplifted hand or looking up at me, I'll just simply acknowledge that. Yes. Anyone else say, I'm not really sure. I don't know if I were to die today. I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me? Anyone else? That's where it starts to know Jesus. I simply just want to pray for you that you may have that confidence. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you're here this morning and you're not sure, it's a simple prayer of faith. My prayer can't save you. I wish it could. I would pray for every one of you and ask God to save all of you, but it's your step of faith, not mine. But it's a simple prayer that goes something like this. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross and paid the price for my sin. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. And Lord, this, today I confess that you are who you say you are. You did what you said you did. I believe that. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I call on you to be my savior. I put my faith and trust in you. And you alone. It's a simple prayer of faith. That starts a relationship that is a lifelong journey. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You say, Pastor Ken, I'm not really sure about all this, but I prayed that prayer this morning. Anyone like that? Anyone? It's a step of faith to say, God, I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that Lord, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not have that confidence, Lord, may today be the day of salvation for them. Because that's where it starts. So God, continue to work in our hearts, Lord, through the remainder of this time that we have together. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you know Jesus Christ. I hope that that's true for you. And that you do have a relationship with him. Because that's what changes the rest of our life. In knowing that I have a relationship with him. So now that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how can I strengthen that relationship to make it better, to make it stronger? Well, all relationships are strengthened primarily by two things, time and talk. What do I mean by that? Well, I can remember when we were first starting to date. 
Remember this, Don? Hopefully I haven't forgotten yet. I can remember. Um, well, let me just say for me, I enjoyed spending time with Don. Um, in our setting, it was a college campus, and we had to work it out between schedules and between, open, you know, when she had a class and I had a class and when we had free time together. But I couldn't wait to spend time with her. In fact, for those of you who haven't heard the story, let me just say, when I walked on the college campus, I looked over at Don and I said, I know who I'm going to marry. I'm not kidding you. It was that clear. It was done. It was over. It might as well not even date anyone else. It was that clear. And so I remember calling home and telling my mom, hey, mom, I found the girl I'm going to marry. And she goes, uh, how are your classes going? <laughs> now, you're avoiding the subject, mom. <clears throat> but I remember very clearly that day, I saw Don and I said, that's who I'm going to marry. And then when as we had some classes together, it only confirmed my suspicion of who I was going to marry, my knowledge of who I was going to marry. I mean, God providentially put our last names together because as the teachers were new, they didn't know us, we didn't know them. They kind of sat us by alphabet in some of the classes. just happened that SW and TO were really close to each other. Now, that was providentially designed by God. I was right behind her in every class. Man, I was lucky. So, what was the deal there, though? I couldn't wait to spend time with her. Because the only time the way a relationship gets better is if you spend time together. And so we started spending time together. And I remember calling back and saying, Mom, remember that girl I said I was going to marry? I'm dating her. Woo! So how are those classes coming? And by the way, you promised me you weren't getting married until after college is done. I said, Mom, relax. I'm not getting married, but I am finally the girl I'm going to marry. So the rest of the next two and a half years, we dated. And then she, as we often say from the South, she had a brain fart. She found somebody else that she thought was better. But she, she came to the truth, though. Don't worry. I mean, as you can tell, she came to the truth. So she started dating this other guy, and I, and I was just like, are you kidding me? Who could not want? <laughs> no, just kidding there, just kidding. <clears throat> so for a year, I was single, and... Uh, then the rumors started spreading. Hey, Don's boyfriend dumped her. Yes. There is a God. So I remember calling my mom back at the end of our junior year. I said, Mom, remember that girl I said I was going to marry my freshman year? <laughs> I'm dating her again. See, I knew. She just didn't know yet. Um, she had to come to some, you know, come to Jesus meetings or other, you know, something like that. But the, here's the thing. As that relationship got stronger, it only became stronger for one reason. Two reasons. Time together, and here's the second one. Talk, or in other words, our communication. Now, trust me, in a college campus, this next example happens. And the other person is going, and you just want to go over there with like a big mop and mop up the slop. Because they're both drooling at each other, but nothing's being said. See, communication without time doesn't work. And time without communication doesn't work. You ever heard the long-term relation, distance relationships? A lot of times they fail because there's not the time together. Time and communication strengthen a relationship. And as I was able to spend time with her and communicate with her, 
our relationship began to grow and become stronger. You say, what if I don't have that with the Lord Jesus Christ? Change it. Change it. You see, there are certain priorities that I made when I, were da- when I was dating her is that I wasn't going to do other things because I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to do that. Just like some of you who have been in those relationships. But talk or communication, prayer. You know, here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, it says, After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. If it was important enough for Jesus to spend time and to communicate with his heavenly Father, what does that say for you and I? Once I have that relationship with Jesus Christ, then I need to start spending time with him. If it's important enough for Jesus to do that with his Father, what do you think you and I need to be doing? Spending time with our Father. Why don't we spend time with the Lord? I think there's two main reasons. We're almost through. First of all, I think some, for some of us, it's not a priority. This is not a priority. We have other things to do. Other things that are important to get done. Other places to go, other people to see. It's not a priority. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 32, interesting verse I came across this week. Can a young woman forget her jewelry or a bride her wedding sash? Yet my people have forgotten me for countless days. Wow, what a rebuke. So you don't forget your jewelry when you go out. You don't forget your sash, your wallet, and your, your purse when you go out. But yet you can forget spending time with me for countless days. What a rebuke. But I wonder how often it's true for many people who claim to be followers of Christ. I don't forget my wallet when I go out every day because well, I have my license, I have my debit card, I got to have my whatever. We take it with us. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, it's there with us. Sounds normal enough. I mean, I don't forget to bring my coat when it's cold outside. I mean, because it's cold, I want to take care of this. Sounds reasonable enough. I mean, I bring a lunch. Or I go out to lunch every day because, well, you got to eat, right? I mean, that sounds reasonable enough. But he says, yet my people have forgotten me for countless days. We can go day after day after day not spending time with the Lord because it's simply not a priority for many. In James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. But you do not have because you do not ask. What's he saying here? There's all these things that you want and want to do and want to see accomplished. You do everything in your might to do it. You desire, but you don't have. You murder and covet, but you can't get it. You can't obtain it. You fight and wage war, but yet... You don't have what you're fighting for, what you're trying to get accomplished. You're just not seeing it come to fruition. Why? Because you haven't asked me, he says. You're trying to do it in your own power, your own might, your own strength, your own wisdom, your own knowledge. And he said, there's just certain things you can't do on your own. Why? Because it's not a priority. I can fix this. You know what we as men do? We fix it. We're fixers. At least we try to. And you need more money, you work more hours. I mean, if something's broke, we fix it. 
I'm not going to call somebody when I can do it. We're fixers. Something's broke. We do what we can do to fix it because that's what men do. He says, wait a minute. There's certain things you can't do. You have to trust me for that. You ever been in one of those situations? We go to the doctors to figure out what they can figure out. That's why they're still practicing medicine because they don't really have it down yet. But that's our nature. We want them to fix it. But do we take time to spend time with God and let him fix the problems that we're facing? So sometimes it's simply not a priority. And other times, it's not our primary focus. It's a focus, but it's not our primary focus. How do I know that? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 5, he says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. He says, man, you're not all bad. I mean, you don't like being around evil people. I mean, that's a good thing, right? I mean, there's some good in you. He says, you've tasted or tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You know, those people that claim to be Christians, but they don't live it. That's what he's saying here. He says, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name. And I'm not grown weary. He says, man, you've been going at it. You're not totally bad. But he says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. At first. In other words, there was a time that you loved me more than you love me now. He says, and when that happens, that's a problem. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. And here's what he says. If these things are true in you, what should you do about it? He gives us the answer in verse 5. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, we could get really technical about the passage and in in the day and age in which this was written. In fact, it's really written about modern-day Turkey area. And you know what there's not in modern-day Turkey? There's not too many churches that are preaching the gospel anymore. The lampstand's been removed. But he says, unless you repent and do the works you've once did, so they'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So if I'm not as close to God as I used to be, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to repent. I need to repent. You know what the hardest thing to do is in life for a man? I'm wrong. To admit when we're wrong. Anybody enjoy that? I mean, just... <laughs> I'm wrong! Woo! Got that off my chest. What is it about men? We don't like to admit when we're wrong. Part of repentance is saying, God, I screwed up. I haven't viewed this thing as you view it. I know it's sin and it breaks your heart. I'm wrong. Forgive me. So if we claim to be a follower of Christ and yet we're not following Christ, you need to repent and go back to what you know is right. And let me just share one more verse. In Psalm 51, it's another familiar passage. It's a prayer for restoration, really. The Psalm of David, uh, when Nathan, the prophet, came to him after he had gone in with Bathsheba, he's confronted regarding his sin. And let me just say this. 
not only does sin separate, sin causes an angst in your life that can only be taken away when you repent and deal with it. In Psalm 51, he says in verse 1, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. What is he talking about? He says, I've been rebelling against you, doing my own thing. Spending time with you hasn't been a priority. Walking in obedience hasn't been a priority. It's not been my focus. So he goes on in verse 2, Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. He says, for I'm conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. You know what you don't have to tell most people when they're in sin? Is that they're in sin? They know it. Most of us know when we've done something wrong, right? Unless your conscience has been so seared, we know when, we're done, when we've done wrong. And he says, my sin is ever before me. He says, I'm conscious of my, my rebellion, verse 3. My sin is always before me. And here's what he acknowledges. God, my sin is against you. It may have been aggressed towards this person or that person or this person or that person, but truly my sin is against you, God. And done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. He says, God, I deserve everything that I get because of my sinfulness and my actions. We talked about letter A, admitting that you're a sinner. Verse 5, he says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my father con- conceived or my mother conceived me. So I was born into this. Basically, God, you desire integrity in the inner self. But let's jump down to verse t- verses 12 through 14. He says, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation and the tongue, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. What's he saying here? If you're not walking in fellowship with God and you claim to be a follower of Christ, you got to turn back. And you know what? There was a song we used to sing as a kid in first, second grade um, about, about God compelling us to go. He says, He does not compel us to go. Oh, no, He does not compel us to go. God does not compel us to go against His will. He just makes us willing to go. There are times that God won't compel you, but He'll allow circumstances in your life so that you'll want to return. I would rather return willingly than through circumstances that would break my heart. But sometimes God has to break our heart to make us see where we're at. Anybody ever been in that situation before? Not fun. Not fun. So here's the thing. If walking with Jesus Christ on a daily basis is not your primary focus, if it's not your priority, it's time to repent and change. Willingly. Say, God, I need to come back. I need to have that time with you. I need to have that fellowship with you once again. And when we do that, he restores the joy of walking with him. It's that simple. But we shy away from it because we're too busy doing our own thing. Doing what we feel like is important. 
only to come to the end of our lives and realize that what we thought was important really isn't. Anybody realizing that as you get older? Things that we thought were important in our 20s are certainly not as important as we think they are today, or as other things are to us today. There's a lot of things I cared about in my 20s I don't care about today. Why? Because we've matured, we've grown. But one of the things that's important to me today is my walk with God. I want that joy. I want the, 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 the knowledge of knowing that he's with me and that he's blessing my life. He's doing in my life what I cannot do in my life because he's God. I hope you know him. I hope you're walking with him. I hope you're having fellowship with him because that's where the joy is going to be. You ever notice that people will let you down? People let you down. People who claim to be Christian will let you down. People who are pastors will let you down. People who are godly, so to speak, will let you down. That's why we never compare ourselves with other Christians. We compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. How do we compare? We know what he was about. How are we doing? That's our goal, to be holy as he is holy, to be righteous as he is righteous, and to have that joy of walking with him. Let's pray.